Hello, and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. This is episode 16 for April 16th, 2019. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and I'm back with the promised special episode of Parallel. So here's how it's special. I'm actually going to play for you another podcast. I was on this podcast, but it wasn't my show. A few weeks ago, some friends and I went to the CSUN Assistive Technology Conference. It's the biggest annual tech conference specifically for and about folks uh, with disabilities. And there's a lot of conference going on. There's a lot of discussion of document remediation and web accessibility and navigation technologies and educational technologies, all sorts of good stuff. But there's also a trade show, which is what those of us you'll be hearing from in a bit spend most of our time covering. My friend J.J. Meadow runs the Blind Bargains podcast, the BBQ, as it were. It is a weekly news product review tip kind of show covering the assistive technology space when it comes to blindness and visual impairment. J.J. has been a guest on this show, as has his co-host Joe Steinkamp back in a previous incarnation of Parallel. And uh, these guys do this weekly show, but when it comes to CSUN time, they flood the zone. And I go as a correspondent and a few other people do on occasion. And what we do is we talk to all the vendors and newsmakers we can find from both assistive technology companies specifically and companies like Verizon and Google and Microsoft and find out what they're doing with assistive tech. And we turn that into 35 to 40 podcasts that we release after CSUN. And all those are in the Blind Bargains feed. So if you really want to dive deep into assistive tech and find out what people are doing in that area, then uh, you can go back to listen to those shows. But what I'm going to play you is not one of those shows. It is instead our wrap-up, where at the end of the show, we got together in the spacious BBQ suite, and we kind of wrapped up CSUN. We described what we thought were the cool things, the not-so-cool things. We gave some suggestions as to how people could run a conference for disabilities better, which is always welcome, I'm sure. But I would hope that they would listen to us because we said some things that were super smart. So that's what the approximately next hour is going to be. And in addition to hearing me, you'll hear J.J. Meadow as your fearless host, uh, Joe Steinkamp as his sidekick, and uh, Chansey Fleet and Ricky Enger. Ricky's been a guest on this podcast before. Both Chansey and Ricky are keen observers of assistive tech and had a lot of cool things to say and to weigh in. And if you, like me, would like to get Chansey Fleet on the podcast, I invite you to flood my Twitter zone so that I can in turn harass her because she has been somebody I've been trying to get on the show for a long time. And I thought it was about time to just publicly call her out on parallel. This may totally backfire, but if she does come on the show, then I won't be sorry. I realize that we, we're so used to calling it CSUN that I forget that that's an acronym that doesn't really have any meaning unless I uh, explain it. It actually stands for California State University at Northridge, which is the entity that puts on CSUN. They have a center on uh, disability and accessibility tech. And so that is the acronym that has arisen over the years. The conference has been in San Diego for a long time, which was referenced in the show. And uh, this year it moved to Anaheim. No, we didn't go to Disney. Uh, So enjoy it, especially if you don't follow assistive technology regularly. I hope this will be interesting for you. And um, I would also welcome your questions, your comments, your thoughts. You can hit me up on Twitter, as usual, at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. The show is at Parallel Pods. You can write there, too. You can go to relay.fm slash parallel for all the info about this show. You can uh, find show notes that are relevant to the podcast that I'm including in the feed, as well as how to subscribe to Blind Bargains if you want to. So now here we go with the CSUN wrap-up show from the BBQ. 
Hello, welcome to the 2019 CSUN wrap-up show, Blind Bargains. Wow, we have such a huge crowd here today. Huh. huh. I think they're restless. They're. Uh... Uh, did you did you do the Eventbrite invite? I, I I forgot to. I might have put next year's date. Uh, Maybe you got the room number wrong. Maybe we said like it was the Marriott instead. Yeah, it's at the Marriott. Of... That's it. Not I thought they were just hotel. silent because they were in awe of us. I like that, which place. is how it should be. It's very good. I agree. There are five voices you are hearing. I am JJ Metal to my right, Joe Steinkamp. Yeah, hello. To his right is Chancey Fleet. Hello. To her right, Charlie Brisbane. Charlie, Charlie, good evening. Good evening, all. And Hello. Ricky Anger over there at the end. Yes, I believe that's me. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I didn't do the introductions because for like the last week I've said I was going to call her Chancy Greta Van Fleet. That was my joke for the week. So, you know. No more jokes for you, Joe. Bands, no more jokes. Joke. <laughs> yeah, you get one. You get one. one you get one joke you get for that the episode. one die. Yeah. I should mention that this episode is sponsored by APH. And if you go back in the CSUN feed, not only do we play with Code Jumper and do that stuff for a while, we also have a podcast with the new president. Well, new-ish. It's been, what, three years now? Yeah, two or three. For Craig, yeah. for Craig Matter, uh, to talking about innovations and initiatives with APH. So go check that out among the many, many other CSUN podcasts. But now we are here to wrap it up for one hour. Starting at 6.23 p.m. as we're recording it. Uh-huh. We don't have the Google Home to keep us oh. on track. And the recording's going to be longer than that. But hey, hey, Google. That's true. Hey, Google. Go, go, oh. Where's our friend? Google didn't even come to no, the show. It, it's wow. left in the suitcase. But hey, we moved. So nine years in San Diego. I don't know about you. Actually, all the seasons I attended were in San Diego. Some of you did L.A. Yep. Yes. Back when... Uh, Back in my day, we had three hotels instead of one. That's true. <laughs> and you had to carry your things back and forth uphill both ways. <laughs> I'm glad that we have the senior citizen delegation on the show today. <laughs> Happy to so uh, briefly, you right? had three hotels. You had the Marriott, you had the Renaissance, and you had uh, one other hotel. Which What was it? Oh, my gosh. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But we were kind of relegated. So blindness technology was pretty much in one hotel. And then there was a lot of mobility technology and alternative communications in another. And then if you're really unlucky, uh, there was a talk in the Renaissance, like with Eric Damry at Friday at 8 a.m. And nobody went because they would have to walk across a really long way. And I mean, some of it was not wheelchair accessible. So when people have talked about this venue, like we're about to, it was worse than than. You know that kind of thing back in those days. I'm just glad we moved. Yeah, to be- we moved. We moved. We got better locations within our even even our hotel. We have fine audience participation fe- feature. Wait, wait, what? Where? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I thought yeah. I heard someone kind of tapping on the door. I thought so too. It's probably yeah. room service. Quiet down. <laughs> Security has been called at 6.24 a.m. p.m. Not a.m. We're definitely not recording since 6.24 a.m. You know, there's actually technology in the conference hotel, those of you that are staying at the Marriott. If you've never seen, are these supposed to be modern elevators? I guess you would call it modern elevators, although I think the concept has been around for about 10 years or so. And so the idea is that you have... Uh, multiple elevator cars as you would in any other situation. But there's like an algorithm or some magic that's supposed to happen somewhere that is meant to efficiently route people to where they need to go and kind of minimize the wait for an elevator to arrive and uh, fetch you, as it were. So 
uh, you actually enter your floor that you're going to before you ever step on the elevator. There are no buttons inside the elevator aside from like the alarm button and the door close button, which doesn't really work, and maybe one more. So you enter the floor that you're going to, and then it will announce which elevator car is yours and tell you not often accurately where that car is in relation to where you are. So you will press the button to go to floor seven, for example, and it will say, proceed to car D at left rear. And it might be to the right, right in front of you, or it might not be. <laughs> so you just kind of have to learn where the elevators actually are, so A, B, and C. We found a new job for Ricky. D, I was going to say, I think uh, elevator voiceover <laughs> artist. Mind, mind the gap. Yeah, mind the gap. And so yes. every time we walked up to him, I would go, let's play America's favorite new game show, Find Your Room. And it was really weird. Visually, there are some lights that will light up. But if there's a good Samaritan who's trying to help you, if they don't hit the enunciator bar, which is a long bar below the keypad, and that's how you initiate the audible mode, if somebody pushes that and doesn't hit that, then you have no speech whatsoever. Yeah, the elevator just lights up. And so if you don't notice that, uh, it doesn't announce that it's arriving or which one you're meant to take. But Yeah, you could end up in the wrong one, even if you're aware of the doors opening. And yeah, and again, you, there are no buttons inside. So if you're in, you're taking a ride to whatever floor has been specified, and it may not be yours. So you'll have to get out on some floor and uh, then try again. These destination-oriented elevators have been designed to kind of aim at accessibility compliance, I think, without any effort at making that the design fun or... Accurate? I don't know about actually usable. But I guess... (laughs) When the accessibility features were designed, the prototypical person who needs accessibility features was considered and nothing else about us. So, for example, if you're deafblind, there's no hook in there for you. Nope. Nope. Right. If you do press this destination bar, one thing that happens is that you get the the announcement of where your car is going to show up. And another thing that happens, though, is that it slows down the entire elevator so that it takes three times as long to close. Because I guess the proposition that is if your eyes aren't working, your legs are going to move really slow. So there's that. It creates... And you can't override down. that. You can't press the close button. You can't to try override to, it. No. And, and you it, guys were talking about privacy concerns, you know, of late night, someone going up to a room alone. That leaves a lot of time for someone to kind of follow you and go straight to your floor, yeah, which also, is announced out loud. It's it's just a little bit uncomfortable even being inside of it because you're used to the buttons. You're used. To, I mean, frankly, you're used to being able to change your destination. You're in the elevator and you decide, oh, I want to go to 14. I want to go to the party or uh, whatever. But it's this blank Uh, There's a couple of buttons there, but it's pretty much a blank wall in front of you. It's kind of weird. Yeah, and there's also the issue of if it's fairly quiet, uh, you're fine. You'll be able to hear what your elevator is and where you're supposed to go to find it. But if, for example, there are, you know, a hundred people who just came out of session and they're all stampeding toward the elevator and everyone's talking – you may not know which one is meant to be yours, let alone if it's opening and where it's supposed to be. The one time that I tried to use it and there was kind of a lull, it was later at night, I pressed the button and it says at the top of its lungs, because there's no one there, floor five, and then it waits probably a full, all told, 45 seconds before that initial announcement and when I've when it finally closes the doors. And in a late night situation or any kind of deserted situation, Honestly, I felt exposed and I felt like 
you know, someone could just join me in that elevator. It's not yeah. something that I think spend a lot of time thinking about. But, you know, one thing that we're supposed to consider when we design p- public spaces is making f- everyone feel safe and, and safeguarding their privacy. And that doesn't happen. So we'll be here for the next four years because this is a five-year contract, by the way. Some of the things that Shelly and I thought were interesting, and I, I, I heard this also from sighted people, but mostly people who are low vision, people who have glare sensitivity, this hotel is a little bit complex. Monochromatic colors, uh, very neutral. If you have issues with red and blacks, uh, this can be a problem. The lighting strips uh, are generally vertical, but there are also some sconces that are about at eye level. On the first day of the conference that I came here on Tuesday, it was very much like medieval times. It was darker. And also it relies on some natural light in some places like where the coffee shop is. So in the middle of the day, the natural light helps a great deal. But if you memorize things, if you're looking for shadows, if you're looking for color, uh, you're going to be in trouble until you memorize this because uh, you go from a tile floor into the part where the CSUN is proper. And there's a lot of carpeted hallways and large expanses which are hard to navigate if you're not familiar with the area. Well, and it's weird because, I mean, and Joe and I have kind of opposite low vision perspectives in terms of he wants a lot of light and I want a little bit of light, which doesn't actually have to be a deal breaker because my comments are about those vertical lights. They're sort of accents that are near some of the rooms, but they make it impossible for me to read a sign that's very near them because they're so bright and they're so tall. By the same token, one of the exhibit halls was really dark, which I liked because of my particular kind of low vision until I started trying to read signs. And the other one was not super bright, but it was far brighter. And it was just weird to me that you had two exhibit halls across from one another with very different lighting schemes. I didn't understand. So that. one was in dark mode. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah very, very much so. And this is the first, I always forget this when we come out to California. Um, a lot of these are led lights and they're kind of a bluish hue. There's not always a, a red or a, a yellow or an orange hue like you would with old fluorescence. And so when you get to a new venue like that, it shines differently. And if you're not ready for that, it will take you a little bit of time to get accustomed Um, Some people are having trouble, though, with uh, the way that you walk in because there's just this great big large expanse and then all these hallways spoke off of it. Um, But the good news is that, at least in my opinion, is that, you know, it's all in one spot. It's it's all there for the conference, whereas in San Diego, we were sharing it with, um, you know, a dentist convention or one-year medical insurance convention. And so you had to be aware of whether you're in one tower or the other or you are at multiple floors with multiple things. Uh, so if you wanted to see this one, you needed to go to the third floor, this one on the second floor. This is all one floor. Well, we did have it to ourselves for most of the time, but a fencing tournament conference came today. So it's now canes versus swords. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we should uh, actually talk about what's here. You know, we were having trouble coming up with a lead story. There's nothing that really jumps out this year. Um, anybody want to take a stab at something that, an observation? You know, there's no... There are a bunch of products that we have seen in the past that are have come to fruition. For instance, the Canute is actually in production. Now, what? We've been talking about the Canute. And they won the Touch Genius Prize. They did, from National Bread Press. But APH is going to sell it, which is interesting. But uh, um, but yes, they did win that. And you know, the I saw the production model, and the Braille looks great now. Uh, under $2,000. So what is that per cell? That's 360 So about a little under five, or a little over $5 per cell. That's about four orbits. 
Yeah, but for, obviously for different function. I I mean, I think that's great. I, that's exciting. Yeah, it's good stuff. Just to remind anyone who may not know, it's a multi-line braille display that uses a rack and pinion technology instead of the, the piezoelectrics that most yes. braille displays use, and it's out of Bristol in England. Nine rows, 40 cells per row, and they've really pivoted. One of the things that Ed was pointing out in the interview is how they have pivoted from a machine for literary braille, which of course it could still do, but really focusing on tables and math and music and other things that benefit from having a multi-line display. In fact, they've actually even worked with Duxbury. You can select Canute as an option now in the latest version of Duxbury to directly print to this. That's smart. That is really good. I, I bet that makes it more efficient and just like, I, that's great. Because you have continuous graphics that go over multiple lines and things like that, and that's probably easier if Duxbury can conceive of it as an as a bigger image rather than just a series of cells and... The feeling I got from a lot of people who do this kind of thing uh, with us is that there was nothing that generally jumped out. Some of the fury was stolen by what you recorded in Orlando. So a lot of people already knew about the Braille Note Touch Plus before they came in. So, you know, they wanted to touch it, but the bloom was off the rose. They knew it existed. And so coming in, a lot of people were happy about networking. And Ricky and I had a chance to chat with Eric Damry during a Microsoft event. And he had said that, 50% of the people that they saw at the booth were new faces and that my theory about international, we'd see a larger uptick in international freedom didn't think so. They thought that they, they saw new faces, but they were domestic. And I think that's what I noticed most. It wasn't so much a new technology, something great in the exhibit hall, anything like that. What I really noticed was um, kind of a new energy for CSUN because so many people are either first-time attendees or haven't been in a very, very long time. And so there's kind of that enthusiasm that can be infectious, whereas, you know, for those of us who have been to San Diego for nine years, you get used to seeing the same people and the same things, and it can feel a little bit like, oh, it's this again. But with new blood, so to speak, uh, it's interesting to kind of view what's happening from that perspective, you know, somebody coming into it um, with fresh eyes, for lack of a better term. New fingers. Yes. New fingers. Now, I didn't see a lot of new vendors. There were a couple, but I was, I don't know if I'm surprised. I guess that's probably going to take a year or two. You're going to have some vendors who are going to say, is this new location better for what we do? And frankly, you know, there's contraction going on in our industry. And so it it may not be the best time for that sort of thing to happen. But I think that's when you're going to tell the impact of this move is in a couple years when maybe you get some companies coming that that haven't before. Well, it felt like big corporate, right? Because we had Sony, Google, Amazon, Microsoft. Yeah, but we usually have those. I mean, Sony, not so much, but the others always come. Right, but it feels They always come, but I think they are, at least over the past two or three years, they, they came before, but kind of in name only, or at least that's my perspective. And over the last um, two years, certainly, and maybe a little before that, they really became a lot more engaged with the people that they were hoping to serve. Google was one of the first, so now others have followed. Plus, their booths now, the Sony booth had a big display yeah. in the front of one of the halls, as opposed to having some table hidden in the back. And, and Joe and I talked to uh, the Sony guy who is, I guess, in charge of accessibility. I don't know at how high a level, but I could tell by the way he was talking that he's invested in a lot of different 
Sony product lines as opposed to just, hey, I'm the PlayStation guy or I'm, you know, this thing. And I've, and the, the breadth of the Sony display was impressive in that sense. Talk about the kiosk because that was an interesting little prototype, the Best Buy Sony accessible kiosk. So it is, uh, the idea is that Sony wants to be able to greater control their narrative. And but what I mean by that is they want to have a better way of explaining to you what their products do in the Best Buy or whatever retail store that you go to because they can't really rely upon the guy who works at Best Buy to be able to explain your uh, what they're selling because he may be working cameras one day and phones the next and here I am in the televisions. So they want to make sure that they're getting all their information across, but they also realize that blind individuals could be decision makers in the household. So they want to be able to have some audio cues and also there's Braille on the kiosk it's still a normal kiosk that someone cited would be able to interact with, but there are some elements that you could interact with, with uh, not headphones. There wasn't a headphone jack on it that I could tell, uh, but there's going to be audible cues and you would get the same information and it's something that they could update. And it's the way for you to be able to be involved with learning more about Sony. Um, Matt McCubbin actually looked at it and Ricky and I talked to him a little bit about it. He he had some misgivings that I did not, but uh, he thought the Braille was kind of weird. And we talked about how it was placed. Uh, the Braille is placed at the bottom of the screen. And it's kind of placed stylistically rather than the way you would read Braille. Mm-hmm. And so while it visually looks good, it wouldn't be necessarily the way you would interact Braille-wise uh, with going to read something. Uh, but it's a st- it's a it's prototype. It's a star. It's a prototype. Right. It's a prototype. Yeah. There's certain yeah. things that I would add. The one feedback I gave is okay. I I can't get the product name or the model number at all. Neither of those pieces of information were available. Like okay, if I want to learn more, I get you're not going to put everything in Braille, but I at least need access to those things so I can kind of go compare and learn a little bit more about the product. And but, people are going to ask for things like pricing, which is much more difficult. And I can see why they'd say, well, that's not necessarily you can't update that in going to be possible, but maybe there's an audio way to do that. I don't know. But, but it, I mean, it does feel like if you're a consumer, uh, that's what you're going to ask for. It was interesting, and I wasn't expecting to see it. So, I mean, definitely yeah. the, the, and, the fact and that they cared about that. there was enthusiasm within Sony for that. Pro- I mean, you can tell when a company says, this is what we did for you. I hope you like it. Uh, and, <laughs> yes. But the guy, I mean, he, he really seemed like an advocate for the product, and he works in Sony Japan, and I think he wanted us to like it, but he also wanted other people within Sony to get the point of what he was doing. And one of the things that he demonstrated for us that sold in Japan, and it looks like a, almost like a, a collar, that, a neck collar, that you put it around your neck, and you have little speakers that hang out the front, and it was for personalized audio, say if somebody had a hearing loss, uh, and you did want to turn up the television to 23, you would actually just place this around their neck and they could hear the audio a little closer to them so they could enjoy the audio without having to raise it up for everybody. Uh, and it actually had some vibration to it, which was nice. So it kind of sort of vibrated your chest. So for those... There was an who, action movie. It was kind of fun to, 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 to do that. And, and it relaxed you because it was a nice massage. Um, and we suggested that they should put the audio description channel in there as well, that that would be another option. So, you know, hopefully <laughs> that feedback will go to them. I guess another thing that I saw, uh, again with magnifiers, because I am the person who covers these things, the tablet magnifier thing continued, but I saw at least three that are based on iPads now. Yes. So Android was the thing for a while, and obviously Android was fairly inexpensive. You have the flexibility to build your software either as a skin over Android or just a separate app. But uh, but now iPads are coming in. I saw a Surface that I, I really liked. I saw two liked. Surface Go tablets. Yeah, and they were great. I mean, I, I'm 
becoming a Surface fan, I hate to tell you, but I'm, I don't know. I've seen so much good Windows stuff, and I'll talk about Microsoft in a little while. But the iPad ones, I asked the guys who were selling them, and they're using the biggest iPad, which is like a 13-inch iPad. It's enormous. It's more than $1,000. Obviously, AT products always considerably more expensive than that. But I said, you know, why would you do that? Because I understand that, you know, there's these limitations. You can't skin it the way you want to. And it's because the market demands it. People want... If they're going to have a tablet like that to use as a magnifier, they also want to be able to use it as a tablet, and they prefer to use uh, Apple tablets versus Android ones. So there, there were at least three companies that had those things out there, and that was super interesting. And North State AT has one as well, the Revo, and it was Windows because their philosophy was that it would last four years. So high school, college, you could last four years on a Windows tablet and feel pretty comfortable. But didn't didn't you say North State had an iPad one as well? They did. They they did want to talk about it on microphone. They they asked that people go to the website to learn more about it uh, because of that very reason. They felt like mm. the Windows tablet was a better one for education, which was where they were moving it. LVI had a Windows one, which I liked, uh, Surface-based. And yeah, so... You know, I like the idea that you have multiple platforms to choose from, and so what people are doing is putting OCR software and software to manage the magnifier part of it, but I didn't feel like any of those products were bad. You didn't go, oh, that's terrible. I mean, some of them had fairly heavy stands. And it just seemed like the first thing I want to do is take it out of that stand and leave the stand at home. And I, it's foldable in a giant stand that makes it weigh eight pounds. But other than that, I, I think it's great that they're coming in multiple platforms and that you really do have a lot of choices now. That and it's always done that with the display technology. So in the past, we, we've always had like Samsung or Sony monitors or certain brand name monitors, and they would just have a rebadge. What, what they would put plastic over it uh, or a different housing around the monitor. So it was always an off the shelf kind of monitor, but it's the same thing just in a modern age. We're using a tablet. What about wearables? Because as a person who doesn't often look at low vision stuff, but I was kind of touring the exhibit hall, I felt like there were surprisingly more wearables than I expected for low vision? Is that just because I've lived under a rock or are there more? Last year was when you first started seeing that happen and there were a number of VR headsets. There's kind of two classes. There are the big VR headset things that magnify, that give you basically an all-inclusive experience because your entire face is covered by this thing and you're basically watching a screen inside your, you know, in front of your eyes. And then the other kind are little cameras that are mounted in glasses. And those, I think, really focus on very different people, different visual situations, even though the vendors, because the first thing I ask a lot of these companies is, for what kind of vision loss is this product good? And they all say the same thing. I mean, whether it's a like a, the the VR headsets or whether it's the glasses based ones, they all tell they all say Stargardt's and macular degeneration and RP and and glaucoma, and it's kind of hard to differentiate that stuff out. But to answer the question about whether they're more, I don't fe- I feel like last year was the year when they started being more available. I think this year, actually, if anything, they're sort of more getting into okay, we're shipping these things. Maybe we're actually selling a few of these things. It, it's a little less. Buck Rogers and a little more, I, I, I think they're aware that the VR headset is kind of a hard sell because it's so physically big, yeah. but they also know that for some people, and I include myself in this group, there's a much better experience than with the glasses-based ones where you have a very small screen. And for certain kinds of vision loss, especially if there's nearsightedness, that's just not going to work for you. So I don't know. It, 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 it wasn't more. I just think they were a little more mature this year, maybe. Makes sense. I saw a couple Braille wearables. So over at the Dot booth, there's the Dot Watch, 
which we saw last year, but there's a newer iteration, and that newer iteration claims to help out with some issues with refresh rate, and it has a little silicon cover that helps it be water resistant. You adjust it with a digital crown, and it can show you the time. It can show you iOS notifications. Ooh. It's kind of, it's very large and round and kind of silvery white from what I understand. So it's not, it's not something that's going to blend in or be particularly aesthetically designed, but it is interesting to see. I think it's the first Braille smartwatch. So that's from Dot. Also over at Dot, they had a Dot keyboard, which is also a wearable on a silicon wristband. And when you unfold it and deploy it, it's six little rubberized keys, a space, backspace, and enter. And it's a Braille entry device for about $300. Do you still wear it or do you place it on a, on a surface? You wear it until it's time to use it from the look of it, from, okay. from what I saw. And it's I that stretchy. You could choose not to wear it, I guess. Fitbit type with you. of material. Yeah, okay. right. Yeah. It's a the, rubbery. It yeah. looked really interesting. I, I didn't get a chance to it was use red, it. Wasn't it red? Yeah, it was. That's more interesting. Which is probably to me. why I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> That's more interesting to me because the dot watch, and they also had a th- the dot pad, which is a kind of a mini. It's not full uh, full page, but it was a few line braille display. It still has the same problem where dots weren't coming up. It had that, you know, it, it did have some dot irregularities, but it did have a higher dot density than other full page attempts that we've seen. But, you know, when my very first line, when it says battery status 47%, (laughs) and I read battery status 42%, you know, on the very first attempt, that that definitely kind of scares you away from at least that. So, although I know there are people that are looking for a Braille input device, so that's an interesting one. It does include input, and it can render graphics and kind of low-res tactile graphics, and it, it, it looks like a prototype that definitely still has some issues, but I'm happy to see that there are now multiple entrants that are in kind of the beta stage there's the graffiti which has been kind of circling in beta for quite a while and it's nice to see even if this new offering isn't quite ready for prime time either i think multiple teams of people working on this problem of access to spatial information is really important for the graffiti us. was hidden and norton and the orbit neither of them were on the aph booth no you're right about that no, we're not. i think that was intentional so aph's booth i i Usually they're in the front, and they were kind of in the middle of the second hall, which I thought was an interesting placement. I don't know the ins and outs of all of this stuff, but it felt like it was a lower profile than they normally do. I agree. And because of the different exhibit halls, so people like uh, North State were usually on your left in San Diego, and David Raystrick over at Envision was on the right. They were more towards the middle, kind of where... Uh, you would find GW Micro back in the day. So they were a little further back. Um, and and some of that can be placement. Some of that can be uh, purchase. You can purchase your way forward. But some installations were huge. Like, of course, the the Vespero booth was gigantic. The Google booth were was gigantic. But even the ones that were kind of soared uh, towards the back, like Ira, it wasn't as far up as you might think it would be. Um, still got a lot of good foot traffic. And if you were a smaller booth near one of these anchors, you know, it's like a store that was next to a Macy's. You get a lot of foot traffic. <laughs> it's really important to me when I come to this conference to get to network directly with the folks that are responsible for products that I use every day and, if possible, to see other people that use the products because we're low-incidence disability and we don't see each other geographically that often, and this is where we're supposed to do that. So I really appreciated that Google had a reception. I really appreciated that 
soundscape had a scavenger hunt outside. That was very awesome. And you don't have to spend any money to create a meaningful experience for the people that you're designing for and with and to build community. I I don't think it costs anything to do that scavenger hunt. And there are some other companies that made the decision not to create an opportunity for gathering. And that was a little sad. I feel like if I were to give an award to the big company that that just did the best job overall, it would be Microsoft. Oh, my goodness. Because, I mean, and they are not the ones that fed us great food, which Google did. And Google did a good job, too. Really good event. But It was a very good event. But I think what Microsoft did, first of all, they have such a breadth of offerings. The things that they have from narrator to seeing AI to soundscape to Xbox – there's just a ton of stuff that they have. So they start with a plate full of good food good food for you. And then they spread it out over the three days of CSUN. And then they do things like the scavenger hunt. And their people, their product managers, the folks who actually make decisions about what happens at Microsoft, were there. I think last year they made a big deal about something like 75 Microsofties. And there might have been more or less this year. I don't know. I just feel like... They're so integrated into our community. And frankly, they've hired a lot of people we know. Yes. And not just people that we know personally, but people who we know by reputation. And they get it that the knowledge that this community has, some of which is unfortunately lost when companies merge together, but and some of it is just out there for the grabbing and not people who are necessarily looking to change. They get that that's where that needs to go. And so I just feel like... I just feel real good about what Microsoft is doing right now. I agree. And I appreciated that they had office hours. So um, Friday afternoon when you, you know, nobody wants to go to sessions anyway, they had a wealth of Microsoft people uh, there to answer any and all questions. And so you kind of had the office table and the narrator table and the low vision table and they were just there to answer questions, take feedback, and there was a genuine interest from the Microsoft people to hear what they could do better. I mean, of course, they wanted to hear what they were doing well, but they really wanted to engage directly with the community and talk about what it was that they should be moving toward. And the adaptive controller has such a long reach. Even though you might not be a gamer, even though you might think that the adaptive controller might not be a thing for you, Microsoft spent $5 million on a Super Bowl ad about accessibility and gaming. And there were many vendors on that floor who went up and thanked Microsoft because it opened the door for their products and to have communications with people who might not be in our, our orbit of procurement and accessibility and you know things like that. So there were many people like Ira and others who were thrilled that Microsoft had spent money a lot of money on a commercial that featured accessibility on the Super Bowl. And framed accessibility as something desirable and fun that brings the crowd together rather than something that's medicalized. Yeah. And yep. I want to give a shout out hidden in the basement, but doing a bunch of things as well. Verizon Media, pretty much uh, formerly Yahoo, who sucked up a lot of the Yahoo assets, <laughs> whatever they're called <laughs> right. these days, exactly. um, was doing a lot of stuff. And I like how they focus a lot on entertainment apps. We talk so much about productivity and office apps. They're dealing with Yahoo Fantasy Football and sports and March Madness and finance and other things as well. And I was, we were able to talk with Mike Shabanik, who have been trying to get on a podcast for a long time. So they're thrilled that we had that this year just to talk about fun stuff. And, you know, we love to play with, you know, sports apps or fantasy. A lot of us do just as much as people like to write Microsoft Word documents, probably a lot more. So it was really cool to see them just have an open forum. People could come in in the basement and play things out. 
and um, talk to the and people. Sony had the PlayStation up with Spider-Man, which has a lot of uh, accessibility things for people who have mobility issues or cognitive issues. I very often I'm lucky enough that my hobbies play into my real job. And there was so much gaming accessibility at this conference. And uh, Ian Hamilton, who does the games accessibility conference that I'm going to after this show, we were just floored. The, the number of people that were coming together here at uh, this venue to talk about access and games access was just amazing. And that tied into a little bit of what uh, Shelly and I were talking about with Sony earlier. Full stop. Three. Everybody get the noise out of the way. Move, everybody move. I think we're all thinking we'd like to be out by the pool where Buddy developed yeah. <laughs> Well, before we continue, I should mention that this podcast is sponsored by the American Printing House. APH designs innovative learning solutions for people who are blind or visually impaired. They believe in the power of breaking down barriers and creating a future that belongs to everyone. To learn more, visit APH.org to learn more about the products and services. We do appreciate the American Printing House for sponsoring the CSUN wrap-up show in 2019. So this is another year where I think that if you're into the exhibit hall, you might get what you want if you haven't gone to one of these shows before. But if you go pretty often, you might be underwhelmed. And that it was really another year where if you weren't in the talks, you were really missing out. And thankfully, a lot of the talks are in the Platinum Sponsor Rooms. And that's the Microsoft, Google, Amazon talks. We're revealing quite a bit of the information. Uh, Google, for instance, a lot of apps got announced or updated. Google... Or released in the case of Lookout. <laughs> yes, that's that, exactly. The Lookout app, which is one that was we covered way back at Google I.O. last year, was finally released. It's another object identification app. And, you know, it's a good start. I don't know if it does anything groundbreaking versus the other ones that are out there, um, but it is certainly a start and another effort from a mainstream company. Uh, you can use it to identify... Objects, it does it by clock face. Chancey was saying she wants it in degrees, um, which I, I don't I agree. I mean, that would certainly would be helpful. It um, can also be used to read text and other things. Uh, Shelly, you talk to Shaki. Saki, I, can, I can never say his name. Without, Saki. Saki. I talked to Saki Sheikh from Microsoft. He is the lead software engineer for Seeing AI. And we've talked to him on Blind Bargains before. And he let us see Seeing AI 3.0, which has some fun features, including the ability to, it's sort of advanced photo identification. So you, as you move your finger around a photo, the AI will identify objects or people in that photo. And so that, that product continues to evolve. And I talked to a number of people who got to go see uh, Saqib's session, and they, they really seemed uh, excited about it. So uh, it's, it's cool that that product continues to develop. Be My Eyes, adding Google to the specialized help partners. So now you have Google or Microsoft. That is a lot of computer-related tasks that you yeah. can have covered in one way or another. You know, the advantage of video chat to Google or Microsoft versus sending an email can be really useful when it comes to trying to sort out miles or trying to set up an Android tablet that's not talking right away. There's a lot of different applications that can be used for these, and then they want to expand to, to other companies as well. So it's really uh, cool. That was announced over the last couple of days as well. I think I just want to say really quickly, and I didn't have a chance to get to go to the talks, and that's always un feels unfortunate to me because I would really like to, that there are some talks that address products. Apple even gave a session. But a lot of the talks and a lot of the reason that people come for the sessions at CSUN have very little to do with actually like shipping products. They're either you know developments in WCAG web, web accessibility or document remediation 
or you know assistive tech in terms of the the tech part rather than the product part. And so it, it would be wrong to say CSUN is about you know which gadget such and such company released. And it it can feel like two different worlds if you you and because the number and variety of sessions at CSUN is is so overwhelming that you can get lost in that and never make the exhibit hall or the reverse can happen because that's the thing that's amazing to me is as small as that exhibit hall is and I, you have to include the platinum suites where those companies are demonstrating their products and announcing things as small as, as that part of CSUN is it consumes most of our days <laughs> I mean, a couple of us did get to go to some sessions but most of us are like running around covering new products and but it would be it would be wrong to to sort of break CSUN down to just like the stuff that you can buy. And there's a lot of session things that, yeah, none of us really got to see that I think have even more information. I'm going to have to go back through the tweet storm. You know, there was a what's new in voice view session that uh, Amazon did, what's new in narrator, you know, so lots of things. A reason to read the hashtag for a year, you know, definitely. And there'll be stuff coming out for I tried two weeks afterwards. Also, there was post a their hashtag confusion because no, there, were, there always <laughs> is. There's like four potential ones. Yeah. Yeah. CSUN, CSUN ATC, 2019, <laughs> CSUN. Anyway, the point is, Look for CSUN. when you're looking for hashtags. Uh, look for several of them because there there were lots, but lots of material there. The L, L Braille V. Uh huh. The, the L Braille V. Is it the V? V. V. Got a V at the end. Well, of it. yeah, because it's the V because it's using the fifth generation Focus Forty, and a couple of the things have been improved uh, versus the prior one. I still think it's pretty expensive for what you're getting, but if you're into this, it's a twenty eight hundred dollar dock for a Focus Forty. Essentially, is what it is, which includes. An Intel Compute Card Core i5 processor, 128 gigs of solid-state storage, 8 gigs of memory, and then a whole bunch of ports and SD card slot, USB-C, and several other things as well. And and some people said it was heavier, in their opinion. I didn't think – I mean, it's not light. It probably is heavier. But I had it on my lap for the entire interview, and I didn't feel like I was uncomfortable doing it. We talked to Adi Kushner. I did uh, a little earlier, a little a little later than we usually do. Yeah, we didn't do it before. <laughs> Words, yeah, did it outside in the wind, so there's probably a little bit of wind noise. You're welcome, Patrick. I'm sure you appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, as far as Braille innovations, yes, the Braille Note Touch Plus we talked about back in Florida. But I think some of the companies, especially look at the Android tablets, the Braille to go, the B2G, had just had its price cut in half. Uh, wow. Uh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, huh. I didn't either. Yeah, so either there's, there's a whole bunch of those to clear. And Brian McDonald pretty much said, look, we realize it's really hard to keep up with Android. Our hardware is dated, so we're going to just change the marketing to a, you know, comparing daddy's first note taker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> right. Fisher Price first note taker. Right. Yeah, and, and comparing you know. contrast that to the way Andrew talked about uh, what happened with the Braille Note Touch Plus back in January when you were at Orlando. Yeah, less than three years that they, you know, they went through updates. And that's part of your, there's the whole issue of, or the argument of Braille display versus integrated Braille device. The hardware is moving even faster when it comes to mobile. Five-year life cycle is a long time. When it's just a Braille display, you can deal with it. But when it's something, a Braille display plus a whole bunch of other things, you are becoming really outdated. You know, there are modern technologies. I don't, I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this. Neither the Braille Note Touch or the Polaris have NSC, for instance. That's technology. It's been around. Uh, I think I think Polaris does. I think Polaris does have NFC. It may. Okay. Yeah. 
But, you know, what, when we get into this conversation, what ends up happening on Twitter is somebody, you know, writes in and tells us, well, that's why I pair my display to a mobile phone. Mm-hmm. And that has its own issues for those who were using 8 Plus and then moved on to Face ID. So that horse changes constantly, too. You're always going to have some form of this technology evaluation changing. So uh, if it's not one cosine, it's another. Humanware is working on adding the same feature that the Vario had, where you can unlock your phone uh, from the Braille display. That's a Vario Ultra feature, I believe. It is, and it's brilliant when it works. And it shouldn't be hard to do. The Matthias keyboards that we sell have that feature. So I'm pretty sure it's just a coder tool that you send over to the phone uh, to make that happen. So it's a type of feature that shouldn't be that uh, difficult to implement. Some of the, uh, going back to what Matt said, I talked to Matt a, a lot before he went off to Boston. He said a lot of the the big name ticket items, like, you know, some of the American thermoform stuff and, and brailers, some of that stuff had no braille uh, stuff to hand out. So you're talking about a $55,000 braille embosser. And here's some print. And- yeah, if you're, if you're a braille <laughs> company, I mean, it's one thing to be... Um, HP, which was also here. Uh, here and selling an add-on to make their printers accessible. So not out of the box. Um, you get to pay for the privilege of using one of those. $600 add-on per printer. Yeah. But, you know, if, if that company said, well, we don't really have anything uh, Braille, that would be disappointing, but almost expected. But when you have somebody who who's literal business is braille and they're like we don't have any braille materials that's a little strange could they we, have printed some right there on the spot yeah <laughs> right. right they have an embosser <laughs> right there. we have an embosser at one time um some people also had trouble with the sign-in process so chancy was signing in with with ricky and i at the time and this leads a little bit into braille because they they had tactile maps for some individuals that was kind of confusing because the uh, the booth numbers were listed by two digits rather than four digits, uh, and it caused some confusion. Uh, but the sign-in process was weird this year because the kiosk mode was enabled for computers. And when we walked up, uh, they were like, oh, you, you, you ready to register? And we're like, yeah, pointed at a computer. There you go. And, and it did have JAWS, um, but it did have JAWS. I mean, like, come on, if you're, if you're not a JAWS user, this could be kind of problematic for you. And even beyond that, even beyond blindness accessibility, the idea that you have to use a computer to check in and there isn't necessarily a human there willing to help you, this could be pretty problematic because if technology is not a thing that you're in love with or really comfortable with, just the simple act of getting your badge could really kick off this conference in a negative way if you really have to work at it. Yeah, this isn't the first year we've had examples of poor maps of the conference and other logistic things that really kind of fly in the face of everything that's supposed to be happening here, you know, being able to... We have two bags full of print materials and two pen drives, which we were told were... That's where the accessible materials were, right, Chianti? That's right. So (laughs) I did ask when I received my flash drive whether analogs to all of the print in the bags were there, and the gentleman seemed confused by the question. I'm not sure why. (laughs) Um, But the fact is that as conference organizers, and I say this as someone who sometimes organizes a conference, 
you can set expectations for your vendors. And if there's one thing that the organizers of this particular conference know what to do, how to do, it's to make their expectations for their participants very, very clear. They have absolutely no issues being pretty assertive about things like crowd control, a cutoff for registration, Uh lots of things I won't even mention. So I think that they know how to be assertive and they could require that anything that goes into those bags has a an electronic version available on those flash drives. It wouldn't cost them any money to do it, and I don't think it would cost the vendors any money to do it because all these documents should be born accessible anyway, if for no other reason that you're going to modify them and iterate them over time. And I'm noticing more and more, maybe it's because I'm at Data and Society this year, but even in these accessibility environments, there's a lot of talk about whatever square on the chessboard of accessibility you reside in. And then there's you having Braille on your business cards that doesn't actually mirror the print that's on the business card. Nothing else on your table is in Braille. And on down the line, it seems that working in the accessibility field, either as a conference organizer or as a vendor here, doesn't necessarily mean that you're taking a holistic approach to accessibility. And I think that's something that we need to work on. It would be easy for them to set an example and make some simple requirements such as if you're going to be a presenter, you need to have your slide decks available by the time of the session so people can follow along. I mean, if not here, then where is that happening first? Right. A lot of do as I say, not as I do. And even the website, when Ricky was doing registration, the radio buttons. (laughs) Yeah, there was an instance where I couldn't, there was a choice that had to be made and it was a radio button, but there wasn't an NA choice there. So if, for example, I had accidentally clicked that I needed an assistive listening device and didn't, there was no way to undo that change without refreshing the page and therefore voiding my discount code for 24 hours and having to start the process all over again. So little things like that that are, in fact, a huge deal. And and not to be really pessimistic, but If we are championing accessibility and this is where we come to kind of be with our tribe and do brainstorming and move the world forward and feel like we're making a difference, it can actually, yeah, be discouraging to come in and see that um, kind of the foundation isn't really solid. I'd like to see them not only do what would help all of us, because I have a specific bone to pick with the registration process. I'd like to see them be more experimental in terms of the things they try because all the answers may not be known. There may be ways to make that registration. I mean, what they've done with the kiosk thing, with the computers, is they've made the process more efficient for the organizers. That doesn't actually help anybody register any more easily unless you, I mean, if, if you don't wish to talk to humans, I suppose that would make it easier for you if you were able. In my, I'll just quickly, my, my, my registration gripe is, so uh, I, it was a Windows laptop. It was not in any sort of inverted video mode, so it was difficult for me to see. I don't know if there is a Windows uh, keyboard shortcut that would immediately get me there. If there is, I don't know it, but it's not my obligation to know it. Either have a cheat sheet for me, have a person nearby I can say, hey, um, I'd, I'd like to do this independently. Uh, is there a keyboard shortcut I can use or something? Or, or take the Walmart self-checkout approach. Have someone just there to help out or roam. And yeah. that's what they have done in years past, and that's why it was kind of a shock to not see it this year. I, 
I agree with presuming competence where you can, yeah. but yes. I think, I you know. Well, and, and, and the, the, the finish of that story, so I went the uh, night before registration started, and I saw the kiosk, and it wasn't clear to me that that kiosk was only for conference registrants. And I understand there's a difference. I had an exhibit hall ticket, and I knew, but the way that it was signed, and I can't remember what the signage was, it was unclear to me that that was not the place that I was to go. And because there was nobody there to say, hey, first of all, this isn't it. And second of all, the place you want to go is not open. Because when I went down to the exhibit hall, they had laptops there that were closed. It's like, oh, I guess I can't get my exhibit hall pass now. But there's no indication either via sign or via human there saying, hey, just want to let you know, registration for exhibits opens tomorrow and there'll be some folks around if you need any assistance. And if you go straight in to enter into the large conference area, registration's straight at 12 o'clock. But if you had left and head towards the exhibit hall, you go walking past customer service, which looks like a registration desk. You there walk- are all these built-in desks. And so it's not possible. For, I mean, it's great for them. They've designed this space in which the registration desks all yep. look alike. And so you don't know what they mean. Yeah, and there's exactly. A, there's a conference exhibit hall registration. So if you're attending the exhibit mm-hmm. hall, there's a desk. But then there's one for the exhibitors themselves, which I went to, by the way, and found out that my name is still in the exhibitor list, which was awesome. I'm not an exhibitor, but it's nice to know they still have that on record. But I went there. Yeah, But, but the point I was making before, it was just that experimentation, whether it be the way we, the register pro- registration process works, the way we navigate to find rooms, the way we gather information, the way we do mapping. I mean, why isn't there a lot of navigate experimental uh, navigation and mapping and let people be in some sort of beta program? We're in a new hotel, right? How do people acquire, what better year to do some sort of research yeah, about how sure. people learn new spaces. So before I started the Soundscapes, which was awesome, scavenger hunt, I actually did walk around the hotel with it. The men's room and the women's restroom were marked in Soundscape, so that was very helpful, actually. Uh, Starbucks was a beacon, and to just fill uh, individuals in, there was a Soundscape situation where uh, they had put beacons outside and they called them flags and you left the hotel and you traveled along using soundscape to hear uh, pings and you followed the pings, you centered your phone and you walked to find each one of these flags. And each flag was a landmark like uh, the hotel where we're sitting at now, the Hilton or the arena that's nearby. Um, You know, so you learned a little bit about your surroundings while using soundscapes, which was really cool. There was a 50, 50 (laughs) shot that I had uh, because I did this, mostly with my eyes closed because I wanted to stay within uh, soundscapes and not rely on my vision. Uh, And I actually missed a turnoff. So I had a 50-50 shot. And of course, Joe, not being the person to take to Vegas, uh, took the wrong one. And I met up with Steven who helped me through the the rest of it. He was kind of taking data points as we were walking. And we were talking about uh, how the beacons were made. And it was really fascinating. But those are, are conference experiences like Chansey was talking about that was really neat because I really used it in a better context and then came into the hotel and found out all this other stuff was working. So I was using a product that I wouldn't have thought would work for some of these things that we were talking about if it wasn't for the scavenger hunt, which was really neat. Speaking of mapping, another example of very useful mapping that's been enhanced, uh, Lighthouse was printing out T-Maps, which is the tactile mapping automation project, right? I think we have the the acronym correct there. But the new innovation there this year was the addition of building shapes in indoor spaces. So they actually had a map of the Marriott, which they had enhanced 
and also another one showing Marriott and the Hilton and the walking paths and everything around it. Plus, they were printing off maps for your location or your address, and one for nearby my house showed some of the pedestrian and bicycle paths that exist in my area. So it's really cool to see the innovation there. I love a combination of tactile maps along with all the other ways, you know, soundscapes and remote we've, assistance, we've whatever We've come a else. long way from click click to go maps. Remember click, click to and go. go. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely. So, I mean, it's really uh, to be able to get those and to, to play with them. I, you know, I don't think tactile maps are a tool that is used a lot. And unfortunately, a lot of blind people grew up never being exposed to mapping. So don't know what to do with one if you were to put it in front of them. So maybe having more availability of maps of your neighborhood can really help out. But they're really cool to see them kind of just, they brought the embosser and they were just printing them out as, as you were asking for them. Poor Scott Blanks. He was like horse by the time of the, the Google event. I got, I got to talk to him uh, through croaking noises, poor guy, because uh, they were just so busy. Good thing I interviewed him on Wednesday. Yes, very much so. <laughs> yes. I think stars of the show, for me, the star of the show wasn't at the show. It was the Bose frames. Uh, people who mentioned it. So Microsoft mentioned the Bose frames during their uh, talks. Uh, Ira mentioned it. You hear it during the Greg interview. Uh, Greg Stilson talks about how Bose frames work. And a couple of people had them here. And then we know personally some people who got in an Uber and went to the Bose store near this hotel. And they got at least four or five sales on Bose frames from this conference. And I think the story is, you know, definitely not over yet with that. This is really just the beginning. Mm-hmm. So Bose frames are a set of glasses that you wear and the audio is projected kind of at your ears, not necessarily bone conduction in the same way that um, that, that Aftershocks me. does, yeah. but you don't have your ears occluded. The glasses themselves aren't really doing anything that we will care about for the moment aside from projecting audio, but there are hints, you know, some pretty strong hints that uh, the partnerships such as Microsoft and Ira who are working with Bose are going to do things in the future. And hopefully those things will uh, perhaps include a camera on these glasses because they're very light and uh, feel great. And the sound is phenomenal, again, without occluding your ears, which is great for travel. So it's going to be interesting to see where these go. And if you just kind of want them just because, because you want good audio and you want to carry your phone using soundscapes or mount your phone inside a lanyard and walk around with Ira and have these as your your Bluetooth option, you can do that right away. And $200, it's somewhat affordable compared to all the other stuff we've mentioned at the table. As we have a few, a few minutes left here, I'm looking through some of the interviews that have already been uh, uh, sent over to me. Uh, you were talking about a surprisingly interesting interview uh, with AudioEye, Joe. Yeah, I was really not expecting. Uh, we've interviewed AudioEye before, and I've talked to Jeff. Jeff uh, was back at the homestead, so I spoke to uh, Mark and Dan. And one of the things that AudioEye found out that uh, people are not wild about overlay accessibility on the web. And I'm, I'm moving away because Chancy Chancy might explode. But overlays over the <laughs> over the web accessibility front is not a great thing. But for kiosk navigation, it may actually be a fantastic thing. So things that they have developed over the years are moving over to the point of sale in kiosk space and doing quite well. So they're entering the same world as Stormlight Tech and others that we've talked to. And uh, they have a pretty good idea and roadmap of how their technology can move into a space 
uh, and they can take what they've learned about uh, accessibility for individuals that they've worked with before in the web and then move that over to kiosk for user design, user experience. Uh, and I, you know, Mark is the CTO. He and I spoke a little bit off mic about some of the challenges that are involved. And that is a fascinating space because uh, you have to think of the handoff for purchasing. So if you're going to use Apple Pay or Google Pay uh, or if the chain is using your phone as the actual uh, interface, then all of that has to transfer back and forth from your phone some way or another and still be accessible. So are you listening to two sources? Are you listening to your phone? Are you interacting with the kiosk? So it's a wild west frontier. There's no real rules to it yet. So they're hoping to get in on the ground floor and they have a pretty good roadmap. A few other little things here and there. Um, I talked to a uh, company called VoxyWeb, who I remember seeing the Blind Show phone a few years ago, but it never came to the U.S. Oh, yeah, the Blind Shell, right? Yes. They, so they brought it back this year. It's another one of those um, simpler smartphones that has pretty It looked like a Nokia. It was the old candy bar style phone. You had the numeric keypad uh, with the five-way navigation above it and then two buttons on either side. I did notice, compared to some of the other ones that are out there, it was at least reasonably responsive it was, uh, when yeah. you press the keys. Um, the biggest challenge for any smartphone like this, I guess I should mention, it does texting, it does email. It's a feature phone, I think. It's a feature phone, but it does more than features. No, it does email, and it does web. Uh, I think it has do a GPS. Do I have GPS. to relearn T9? They actually do. Well, if you want to get this phone, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, right. you would have to relearn T9. But, uh, but you could also do dictation. It, oh, okay. it supports that as well. There's a dictation option. The biggest challenge for any simpler phone like this is in the U.S. Everybody gets phones on on well, not contract anymore, but payment plans. Mm-hmm. So spending four hundred or five hundred dollars on a phone all at once is a big reach for a lot of people. We, those of us who do phones over payment plans, we're spending at least that much on a phone, if not more. But over twenty four months, so it's a big difference versus spending it all at once. It does address the gap that the Nokia's left, though. I get this question at our library a lot. It's usually from someone who had a Nokia happily and, you know, it, they had it for 12 happy years and they're looking for a replacement. If you're looking for a feature phone and you don't want touchscreen interaction, there aren't that many options on the market. So it'll be great to have another option in the U.S. I think it's better than some of the other ones that are out there. Uh, the ones that were almost eight or $900 and weren't even doing as much. So... Uh... Do you know how well that phone would work for somebody who's low vision? Is it optimized to only work with speech, or what do you know about that? that? that no, actually, it was pretty – actually, I should correct myself. So the, the, I crossed two different company names. Uh, so the blind show is the phone. I'll get to VoxyWeb in a second, I was, um, which is a different thing entirely. <laughs> um, it, they did have uh, – I obviously couldn't tell you myself, but they were talking about contrast features for low vision as a part of uh, the design as well. It's all very simple menu-driven uh, functions. The voice was pretty simple. It's based on Android, but you can't even install Android apps. They, they've locked it down to the point where you, they wanted to just uh, uh, use the apps, although they seem to be pretty open to adding new features and services. So maybe if they added a few more things, say like Be My Eye support, that could be really interesting as well. BoxyWeb, so since, since I mentioned it, right? BoxyWeb is, was over at the the uh, inside one inside vision booth and what it is is another one of those uh, tv based information portals so it competes with the guide connect but i was actually pretty impressed with that thing too it supports tons and tons of services so, so everything from bookshare and TuneIn and podcast to spotify to 
uh, various lifestyle services. Everything is menu driven. It reminded me a lot of Simple Guy Connect or like the old Saratech menus or other things like that. The way it was laid out. Again, it was very responsive when you were pressing the buttons. The question is, will people want to pay $600 for something like that? You know, it's a really expensive Roku. They didn't like that comparison when I made it. No, but, or, but, or, or a Fire <laughs> Stick for thirty nine ninety nine. Yeah, right. it's, it's a hard but place all, to yeah, be. Right, all those don't have very much accessibility, nor do they have support for Bookshare or NLS or, or things like that. So the, I guess the reason you would buy that is if you just if you are a senior VA, etc., those are the people they're going after who want a simple, just all-in-one solution where everything is a menu. Every, it's always up, down, left, right, with media controls on the remote, with you know play, pause, volume, things like that. I'm not sure if there's enough market for it, but... You know, it's at least it caught my eye. And at least if you're going to do a product like that, it was very responsive again to when you were pressing keys. You actually felt like you were could easily move through menus. I, you know, I was going through playlists on Spotify and I didn't have any problem doing it pretty efficiently. Anybody else stars of the show? Well, <laughs> wow. I know what's coming. Yeah, right. I know what's coming. No. <laughs> We've been flush with information all week. Oh. oh. Stop stalling, JJ. <laughs> number one or number two, Jay? <laughs> it's our number one and number two star of the show. <laughs> okay, so probably the most talked about thing in this suite this week, for better or for worse. I if don't know. not the whole show, but in this suite, yes. Yes, at least in this suite. Confident Navigator. So I know you've all had this problem. You've gone into a, a restroom and then you just didn't know what to do you know where where exactly might you uh you know take care of what you need to take care of to to have found relief can i help you here yeah yeah absolutely all right so yeah so you walk in and you're not exactly sure uh where the stalls and where the urinal or the urinals in some and which ones are occupied correct right right i know it's a problem that uh it's been waiting to be solved for years and years oh you know, for, for many years, we've been trying to find out where to pee. Yes, that, that is true. Yeah, my, my bladder's just gotten so full. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And that's just during this podcast. <laughs> well, three, I, I'm sure nice people, uh, co-founders of this Confident Navigator, have created a solution. Uh, so apparently what you do is you go down to the restroom, which is specially equipped. No, you don't go to the restroom. So you go to... The venue. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know how you need to go to the movie theater and you need to pick up your, your AD. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So imagine that process, except you have to pee. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to go find the right person. They've got to speak to the manager. The manager's got to speak to the night manager. And then and they, they pull realize out the it's device. Out of stock. We test the batteries. We have our uh, pee manager on staff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's some sort of cane looking thing, Temp- a temporary cane, which was just touched by the last person who came out of the bathroom. Ew. <laughs> who hopefully did wash their hands. Yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and it will help you uh, through vibration or audible feedback. Occupied. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you um, what's available. Or Scaring what, the puppy. You, uh, that you, won't <laughs> be disturbing to the people who might be occupying that stall either. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It was like, yes, I know. I'm here. <laughs> well, if they get really scared, at least they're in the right place. Uh, something autonomic happens. Sure. Man, oh, scared no. the pee Absolutely. <laughs> So, so, so you're the process. So you find out with the wand and well, you wave it around. Well, you could plug in headphones too that you just happen to be oh, carrying that, around. That's too. important. Yeah, yeah there's right. going to be a headphone jack too. You could plug them in, and then it will alert you to the the various 
things in the specially modified equipped bathroom. Apparently, the, the Earl Baum Center is that in, is that it's only twenty five hundred dollars only a, a stall or per bath or per per unit. So you have a choice. You could install. Uh, navigation signs inside. You could near your venue. You could have beacons. You could have uh, tactile maps, or you could have competent navigators. I usually love tactile maps. That's one place I don't want to see them. <laughs> no, I'm I'm just saying that when you're outfitting your ven- your venue to be more accessible, and you have to make a choice, I think the choice is obvious. I want to be competent navigator? when I'm navigating. Yeah, yes. <laughs> All right, let's put a lid on this. Show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, well, as we were saying before the show, I mean, there's there's different tools that you could use uh, to try to figure this out. You could use tap tap p. Correct. One. <laughs> yes. Peeing AI. Peeing AI. Peeing AI. AI. That yeah, was, peeing AI was, was a good one. Right. Yep. P specular. Yep. Right. We need to plunge ahead to the end. Of <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> it's a very popular topic. So oh, so um you know th- th- why is this my life right now? <laughs> <laughs> Don't pick now to I get all sanctimonious. Yours were the best jokes, Chancy. Come on. <laughs> oh, but it's just coming up with the. <laughs> yes, right. Shelly had an alternative I, name I, for I will, it. I will sell them the alternative branding. Uh, you're in touch if they let. Yeah, that's right. That's what was the one that what, what was, that was Chancy? I, I what was my, I thought we blew all mine. I don't know. Something with a turd. I don't all right. Um, <laughs> I think it's time for me to go to dinner. So on that note, yes. Uh, I remember coming up with it, but now I don't. Remember what it was? I yeah, was, that's yeah. that's probably my for the mind best. is a blank. We gotta go. There, there's been dozens of podcasts that we have created overseas. Son, if you want to learn about things, including that, we did do them with those lovely people, and two dozen more that you can go back <laughs> yes. in. And Feel free to. to send them along at Blind Bargains. Let us know <laughs> yours. They tell may, us what your favorite podcast is. Possibly retweeted. <laughs> We're interested to know your combinations. Uh, of what could possibly Any suggestions be. for names? That Absolutely. I mean, it's it's those. It's hard to grab those domains. So let's let's help these guys out. Um, Want to thank AFB Access World for sponsoring the interview podcast. We really appreciate them. So you can do afb.org slash aw for that. And uh, also, you can look for a uh, CSUN wrap up in the upcoming Access World that I and maybe JJ will be collaborating uh, yeah. on. We haven't talked about that, yeah, but yeah, it's coming. Yeah, that's got to happen sometime soon as well. So thanks to Joe and Shelly and, uh, for doing recordings and Chancey and Ricky for supporting us as well. We really uh, do appreciate it. Thanks to Gracia Ramirez for doing transcriptions again. And thanks to all the listeners that came up and recognized us on the floor. It was a lot more this year. It was a lot and really start, sort of startlingly so. So many people recognized us and and yeah we are very 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 minor podcast celebrities and many more- just ask you after tonight please stay with us give us one more <laughs> chance <laughs> we can and, be and better. don't bring this up in public if we're alone you might want to bring this up the next time you see it as a convention but don't just yell it across the room <laughs> any of these names that come out but really uh this show is possible because you all have gone out there and spoken to these vendors or told these vendors that what we've talked about influenced you or made you consider a purchase we hear it from the vendors and really honestly this would not be happening if it wasn't for all of our listeners so we do thank you very very much that we're lucky to be able to sit here and complain about elevators that talk we do appreciate it csun wrap up podcast again sponsored by the american printing house so visit aph.org to learn more we do appreciate that as well as well as patrick purdue who 
I'm sure we'll have some outtakes from this, although I'm just not going to send them over. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going to keep them. I, the audio files are in my hands right now. So. Yeah, and make sure when we're done with this episode, as soon as we say bye, you hit off. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, what's it worth to you? <laughs> uh, yeah, some of, some of those did show up last year. I, I might hit so... off. I might hit on again. After. Yeah. yeah, that did happen. Uh, and so uh, we, we as, as we remind you, this usually is the end of our coverage unless we find some interviews that will come up into the other regular episodes. Uh, we do have uh, coming up, as you might know, that we've got the Google I.O. wrap-up show, which is the same week as Microsoft Build, so that it's still got to roll around. And WWDC, Shelly, was announced while we were here. I personally announced it. Did I do that? Yes, yes you was. did. Yes. <laughs> you asked um, Phil Schiller to um, just go ahead and throw that out there. It's, it's another conference that I won't be going to, but there you, go. you know, I can still talk about it Absolutely. and will if I'm invited back. Absolutely. So Let's there's see. still a lot of stuff to talk about and uh, certainly a lot more releases. And uh, if we didn't hit a vendor, please let us know that uh, if we miss something. Don't uh, hit a vendor. They're nice people. Yeah. We like yeah, them. Yeah, they're, that, they're that too. People. If you didn't actually hear us interview a vendor, uh, you should send it along and let us know because we can try and get them on a regular show. So you can tweet at uh, the show at Blind Bargains. You can also email us at feedback at blindbargains.com and send your comments, of course. Thank you for rating and subscribing to us on iTunes and everywhere else. And I guess we'll just go around the room. Back to you, Joe. You can sure. give your contact info. Absolutely. Uh, follow along with my feed. I had some great contacts with people in game accessibility. I'll be talking about that a lot more over the next couple of months because that's really a lot of stuff is coming out in that particular arena. Some fantastic stuff. Ranger Station, all one word. My name is Chansey Fleet. You can find me at a library and a think tank that shall remain nameless given how the night went. Uh, I am <laughs> at Chansey Fleet on Twitter. I am Shelly on Twitter. I fortunately cannot disavow that. Sometimes maybe I should. S-H-E-L-L-Y. You can also tweet me up at iOS Access Book. Still two days left in my little book sale. You want a book? iOS Accessibility. Go ahead and buy that. Also, Parallel Podcast because it's awesome. Not as awesome as this show because none of these people have been on it recently. Um, but that would be at relay.fm slash parallel. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Ricky underscore Inger. That's R-I-C-K-Y underscore Inger. You can also check out uh, my monthly live discussion groups, which also get archived. We choose a different tech topic each month. So that's hadley.edu slash tech it out. That's going to do it, folks. Thanks, Patrick Perdue, as I said, for putting up with everything and dealing with Thanks all the stuff that we Thanks in advance, Patrick. <laughs> we love you and stuff. We do love you and stuff. Revenge. Yeah. Your revenge is coming. Your revenge is coming. We ate pizza and we thought of you while we did it. That's that's true. Right. We got to, Chanchi's got to go to sushi and we got to drink the rest of this beer. So, uh, that's I good. I love a challenge. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. See ya. Have a good weekend. This has been another Blind Bargains audio podcast. Visit blindbargains.com for the latest deals, news, and exclusive content. This podcast may not be retransmitted, sold, or reproduced without the express written permission of AT Guys. Copyright 2019.